Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about teaching self-regulation in the classroom with Desiree Murray, a senior research scientist and the associate director of research at the Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute. You and your team of researchers have published several reports about self-regulation, with the most recent one recommending teaching it at schools. So let's start with the basic question of what is self-regulation? Is it the same thing as self-control? Self-regulation, the way that my team has been thinking about it, is really much broader than self-control. There are a number of terms that are similar to self-control that people have used things like grit is related, resilience is related, even stress management is related. But self-regulation, I think, is is a really nice term because what it gets at is, for one thing, that we're talking about more than simply controlling impulses that we're really talking about very broadly managing emotions and managing thoughts in a way that helps someone achieve their goals, helps them solve problems, and and helps them control their impulses. But that's one piece of sort of a much broader sort of set of skills that we like to think about. Why are self-regulation skills so important? Why do we pay so much attention to them? Well, self-regulation in the last 10 to 15 years has really gotten a a lot of attention because I think people are putting together different pieces of the literature that show really just how foundational this set of skills are. And so with some pretty significant longitudinal studies that have been done and published in the last five years, you can really see that someone's skills in managing their thoughts and feelings and controlling their impulses and achieving goals and persisting and solving problems and all those kinds of things that we think of in terms of self-regulation, that when you measure them in childhood, you actually see them predict really important long-term outcomes. And yes, we're talking about school success, but we're really talking about much, much more than that. We're talking about health and well-being. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about risks for things like substance use. We're talking about economic success. One of the reasons I think self-regulation is so important to think about, especially when we're thinking about interventions, is that it really is foundational across so many different domains. What are some of the problems that come along with not having self-regulation skills? it sort of runs the gamut across multiple domains. So when we look at self-regulation early on, and that might be things that parents are noticing, it might be things that teachers are noticing, or it might even be things that you can measure when you have a child do different, different tasks in a laboratory. Those things predict the likelihood of graduating from high school, they predict grades and they actually predict grades better than IQ. So actually pretty, pretty important set of skills. 
they predict economic success defined in terms of job stability, in terms of professional status, in terms of income, in terms of likelihood of owning your own home, in terms of general health indicators um, related to well-being and sort of cardiac risk factors and obesity. It really is just really quite remarkable the range of well-being indicators that self-regulation predicts. At what age can children start learning self-regulation skills? Is this something that they actually need to be school-aged to learn, or can they learn it before going to school? So self-regulation is something that we start learning really from birth and not so much in terms of teaching infant skills with a curriculum, but really we think that self-regulation is learned from a combination of sort of some specific skills instruction, which you might typically think about, but really also there's an awful lot that, that is learned through relationships with caregivers. And caregivers, of course, are parents, but certainly could be any other number of caregivers through daycare settings, through, you know, mentors and other programs. And so through relationships, through modeling, through support, those are ways in which from a very young age for infants and toddlers, even those caregivers are sort of providing some of the external self-regulation that in some ways really builds this internal self-regulation in some important foundational ways, even before you're even at an age where you might expect a child to be able to calm themselves down or wait for three or four minutes for something they really want. So it really starts really early. How exactly do you teach these skills to a child? And what does that look like in the classroom? Well, actually, the self-regulation skills really build on a lot of research in the area of social-emotional learning that, that we have been doing for years and years. And we actually have a pretty good idea of some of the some of the important skills that you do want to teach, you know, skills in the area of being able to identify your feelings and be aware of those and to tune into the feelings of someone else, being able to calm yourself down when you start to get frustrated or when you're upset or when you're disappointed, being able to stay focused and pay attention when other things are distracting you, being able to have a goal in mind and sort of develop a plan and work towards it, being able to solve a problem when it arises. So you're getting the sense, I'm sure, that there's a whole host of increasingly complex skills that we might teach. And in fact, we can start teaching these things in a systematic way. We have a number of good programs that start doing that in preschool. So even at age three and four. And the way we teach those is one of the ways that we actually think about it that we think can serve as a good model is think about how we teach literacy. It's not a one-shot deal. It's not an eight-week program. It's something that occurs really across development, teaching increasingly complex and more sophisticated skills that build upon each other. Some of that may simply occur by modeling. In fact, a lot of important learning occurs 
when young kids observe their parents and teachers. That's part of how, um, how they learn those things even before they can articulate it. But then we also think about formal instruction. And, and when we're talking about young kids, what that looks like is not teaching a lesson and going to the blackboard and telling them this is what you ought to do, but it's really very active learning. So for young kids, we would do things like a lot of games and we would have them deal with a problem that they have to build a tower and they don't have the materials they need. So what are all the different ways they can build a tower and work together to make that happen? Okay, that's teaching problem solving. Um, we might use puppets and have them teach the puppet ways that they can calm down by taking three deep breaths or doing simple self-talk things like I can do it, I can calm down. Those are some examples of a program that my colleagues and I at Duke are, are looking at called The Incredible Years. That's one of many programs for young kids that really um, addresses self-regulation pretty comprehensively. We've been talking a lot about gaining these skills as a child in school, but are these skills something that you can learn later on in life? That is a great question. So certainly if you are behind your peers in developing skills, things will be harder for you. But just like we would think with the literacy metaphor, just because you didn't get it in early childhood doesn't mean you can't get it later. That's why we have adult literacy programs and they work. And in fact, although early childhood is in fact a fabulous time to really focus in given what we know is going on in terms of um, rapid brain development with areas of the brain that are really sort of associated with self-regulation capacity, there's actually a second period of rapid brain growth in those similar areas, which is early adolescence. And that's a time period that I'm particularly interested in thinking about what type of intervention supports and skill building we can do at that age, because I think it's sort of a missed opportunity. I think we talk a lot more about early childhood than we do about early adolescence. But if you spent much time in middle schools, you probably know that there are many opportunities to practice self-regulation in middle schools. This most recent report that was published back in November is the last in the series. So what's the future of this work? What's the next step? These reports were commissioned by the Administration for Children and Families, which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. And they, they've been invested in this and have, have been really excited by what we're learning. And so part of what we're doing right now is we're doing dissemination. So in addition to some very lengthy reports that are um, all posted and available, we're doing a series of briefs. And the briefs are targeted to different audiences or targeted at different ages. Those are shorter five to seven pagers that will also be available in the next six months or so. Many of them are developed for program administrators and or practitioners to, to think about how do I apply this in, in my organization, in my school, in my agency. So that's one area of work that, that, that we're following up on. The other thing that, that I'm particularly interested in is what I mentioned in terms of looking more at early adolescence or the middle school age. I think there's a real gap in terms of what we know and in terms of the quality of interventions that we have. I don't think we've done a particularly good job of taking advantage of recent developmental neuroscience, which I think could really be useful. And, and I think it's just, I think it's a missed opportunity for intervention. So that's a direction that I'm working on getting some funding in so that I can hopefully develop some of those interventions that are really informed by this work we've been doing the last two or three years. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast today, and don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said.